0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. This message this morning, I'm excited about it. It's a very practical, hopefully practical in nature um, but one that I think will make a difference for us. Genesis chapter 24, don't stand just yet. Genesis 24 is where we're going to be. I was reviewing this series in Genesis this week just to kind of get an idea of how long we've been doing it. And we've been looking at the life of Abraham since January. And uh, you say, that's a long time. Well, he also is like 140 years old. So, I mean, um, eight months seems maybe not not maybe even enough time Uh, ...for a man that's this central to the story of the Bible. And his life of faith is one worth looking deeply into. But that means that today's story, today's account is significant for two reasons. Because in some ways, there's a shift in focus today. The primary character in in our chapter here in Genesis 24 is actually not Abraham, it's his servant... And we're not told the servant's name here, but um, this servant, which which I I happen to believe, it's probably Eliezer. And if you remember in Genesis 15, Eliezer was the servant of Abraham that God thought that God uh, that that Abraham thought God might bring his seed through because Abraham and Sarah weren't having children, and so Abraham said, "What about my servant Eliezer?" And uh, and so I think that it, it may be Eliezer, but we don't know that for sure. Uh, we do know he served Abraham for a long time, but so there's a shift in focus in that the focus is going from Abraham now to his servant today, and then this story is also a transition because the narrative shifts from a focus on Abraham and Sarah to a focus on his son Isaac as, this, as becoming the central character to the story. And today's passage deals with Isaac, uh, his, uh, or the servant of Abraham, finding a bride for Isaac. And so this this is now going to shift from Abraham and Sarah being the central couple to Isaac and his new wife being the central couple in the story. And before that can happen, though, there's a long story. This is a long chapter. If you look at this chapter, chapter 24, in my Bible, it's 67 verses. And so it's the longest narrative in all of Genesis. And some of you may just have started sweating as soon as I said, 67 verses. Now, I do have to say this, that this morning in Sunday school, um, Brother Spillman was teaching about how Jonah went into Nineveh and he preached an eight-word message to the Ninevites so that they would repent. And he said, can you imagine if your pastor got up on a Sunday morning and preached an eight-word or, word message? And my wife leaned over under her breath and she said, amen. <laughs> Come on. So... Because she doesn't run me. We're not doing an eight-word message today. And uh, I've got, I do have you covered today. We're going to split this story up into two Sundays, and maybe three, instead of cramming it all into one, and just consider that your Labor Day present, okay? So this is your gift, my gift from, from me to you. So let's stand and read this. Genesis 24, we'll read the, down through uh, 27, beginning in verse 1. It says, and Abraham was old and well stricken in age. That, that stricken, that's the Hebrew word, it's bo, which means to enter in. So he, what it's saying is he wasn't just old, he'd enter into oldness a long time ago. So he's not just old, he's been old for a long time. And in, he's long in his days is what it means. And it means that he's, uh, from what I understand, what most people believe, he's about 140 years old. So this is about three years after the time of Sarah's death. He's well stricken in age and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And I love that phrase because it doesn't matter if you're young or you're old. If God is with you, your life is blessed. And I'm thankful for that truth. Look at verse two. It says, and Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, that's Jehovah, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. So this was an ancient method when he says, put your hand under my thigh. It's an ancient method of making a vow or making an oath. And one person would place their hand under the other's thigh. To, uh, to express their seriousness about an oath. This was a serious vow. abraham It's so serious that Abraham says, beware. Do not find Isaac a wife among the Canaanites. This is a very serious vow approach to the oath he says they basically they don't follow god and i don't want you to find a wife among the canaanites look at verse five and the servant said unto him Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land must i needs bring thy son again under the land from whence thou camest this is a valid valid argument he's saying what if what if they won't come i mean should i t- just take isaac with me and abraham says no way and in the hebrew no way Jose. Okay, verse six, Abraham said unto him, beware that thou bring not my son thither again. And this is a big deal. Abraham says the promised land is right here. If you take Isaac and you show him the other land where my kindred dwell, he might be tempted to never come back to where the promise is. Verse seven and eight, it says the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and which spake unto me and that swear unto me saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And in verse eight, and if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath, only bring not my son thither again. I love his confidence in the Lord. Think about it. He says, the God that brought me here and is taking care of me into this land of promise. Listen, he doesn't want Isaac to leave. I don't want him to leave and come back. I have confidence, though, in God. And if the same God that's taking care of me will make sure this happens. And if he doesn't make sure this happens, you're clear of the oath. And that's a very important point that I want to look at in the rest of the the message. Let's let's continue reading verse 9. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and sware to him concerning that matter. In verse 10, and the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And I think that either means that he took evidence that his master was rich. Or he, or he took some kind of evidence to reveal that, that, that what he was saying about Abraham and Isaac was true. There was evidence. We found out later he had earrings and bracelets, which is good if you're going to woo a woman, by the way. And so he takes evidence of his master's goods. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia under the city of Nahor. And that's Abraham's brother. And, and so the land, if you remember, we talked about Haran um, a few months ago. Haran is where he's headed. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, "'O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me me good speed this day, make it happen today, and show kindness unto my master Abraham.'" Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water and let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, he gets very specific, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee that I may drink and she shall say, drink and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. And it came to pass before he had done speaking, behold, Rebekah came out, <clears throat> who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her, and she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her head and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. Wow, this is a hard working young lady. And she hasted. She didn't just do it, she, she was quick about it and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again under the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. It came to pass as the camels had done drinking that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bare unto Nahor. She said, moreover unto him, we have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. And the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. What a fitting response. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And the damsel ran and told them of her mother's told them of her mother's house these things. What a story. It is a lot to get through, um, but the point is I think will be a help to us today. Here's the thought. I go back to when Abraham told told his servant, he said, listen, you're gonna go and if, if she won't come back with you, you're clear of the oath. It's in God's hands. And that's important because basically he's saying the same God that took me from my father's house and brought me here, And made Sarah pregnant at 90 years old and provided a ram in the bushes is going to work this out. And if he doesn't do it like we thought he would, you're off the hook. And that's the thought I want to look at today is you have one job. Christian, you have one job. Your job is just to be faithful. You don't have to make sure it works out. You don't have to make sure the the outcome is the way that you want it. You don't have to guarantee success. You just follow faithfully. And let God take care of the outcome. Listen, you have one job. And I'd like to see how that plays out this morning. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. You got your workout in for the Labor Day weekend. I wish that standing for reading the Bible in church counted with, for your steps. But it doesn't. You have to find those later. I you know there's an online trend that takes an image of a simple failure and captions it with this. You had one job. Have you seen these? It's kind of an internet sensation. You had one job. And I want to just show you a few of these to make a spiritual point, but also to wake you up on Labor Day weekend. Okay? So I'm going to show you this. Okay? You had one job. And so for those of you that failed geography, you're like, what's wrong with that picture? Well, that happens to be Africa, not Asia. Okay? You had one job. Go to the next one here. It says Batman, but that's not Batman. My son would be very interested in in that backpack, but it's not you had one job, okay? Next. Christmas decorations. It's a Star of David, if you'll understand that, that those that are Israelites or the Jews, they don't necessarily celebrate Christmas. You had one job, okay? Next. Do not enter, enter only. <laughs> what are you supposed to do with that? You had one job, next. Okay, I'm not even going to caption this one. You had one job, okay? That looks like my construction projects right there. All right, next. You had one job. If you'll notice, first name, last name. And what my, they didn't actually find out his name. So I'm thinking if, you have, if you're going to be internet famous, at least put your, have your name on there. I mean, but there's no, for, there's, it just says first name, last name. The job is well done. Are you getting this? OK, all right, I'm not going to explain it more. Next, <laughs> you had one job. <laughs> all right, and, and this one, back to school, if you'll notice, those are knives, OK, on the back to school display. And last, I think, Mr. Frederick Fleet, the lookout for the RMS Titanic. You had one job. <laughs> Okay, you know, we're, we can stop there. I, I don't know if, uh, if you're getting the hint here. You know, we used to say something very similar to our kids. And we say, listen, you have one job. When they were little, you have one job. You know what we used to say? What did we used to say to the kids? What did we say? Your one job is to obey your mommy and daddy. If children obey your parents in the Lord for this is Right. And that principle, I mean, it it really it really helped us with our children. You have one job. You just submit to your authorities. You obey your mom and dad. You have one job. But you know, we think as we get older that our one job is no longer applicable. That that we don't we don't have one job anymore. And yet, as as a believer, as a Christian, you still have one job. You know what? Your one job is to be faithful. To simply follow God. And you say, "Well, I don't know what I mean. I don't know that that really is that simple." And you know, well, let's think about what it means to be faithful, because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians four. Moreover, in, in stewards is required of a man. Or moreover, it is required in a man that a steward be found faithful. No, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. If I was more faithful to my Bible memory, I would have gotten it right the first time. So I was, all, that was for an illustration. Okay, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And you say, well, I'm not sure that it can be that simple, but think about it. If Faithfulness is one of those traits that applies to everything we do. We should love God first and foremost, right? That's the first commandment with promise. And, and except that if you say, well, I'll only love God when I feel like it, then, if, then you haven't been faithful to loving God as you should. Faithfulness affects everything we do. You say, well, the second commandment is love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, if I just do that with the neighbors that I like, or I only do that when I feel like it, then I haven't been faithful to do the requirement of me as a follower of God. Faithfulness impacts everything that we do for God. We should read our Bibles, and we should attend church, and we should seek God through prayer, and, and, but not just on the occasion that we feel like it. We should do those things faithfully. And as a matter of fact, when we stand before God at the end of our lives, in case you're thinking that I may be stretching this, if you, when we stand before God at the end of our lives, if we have done right and we've done what we should have for God, what does he say to us? Well done, thou what? Good and faithful servant. Our job, our one job in following God is to be faithful. Faithful. And we see this in this passage. Abraham's servant was marked by faithfulness. Look at it. In verse two, it says that, and Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, Me- meaning he'd been with Abraham for a long time. He'd been his servant for a long time. And, I, and for those of you that hire employees, you know that if you can keep an employee for a long period of time, that's a win, because there aren't very many that will just be faithful for a long time. And this man had been Abraham's servant. He was his eldest servant. You don't keep a job that long unless you're faithful. It says in verse 2 again that, that ruled over all that he had. And do you think that Abraham would have given someone that had proven to be unfaithful oversight over all that he had? Now, Abraham had a lot of riches. Abraham was very, very wealthy. And he had a lot of things to, see or to oversee. And he would not have given that responsibility to someone unless they were faithful. And based on what we know, Abraham, um, Abraham gave all that he had to this man to oversee. He, it seems like he didn't even think about it. He just gave it to him and this man oversaw it. This was no small task. And not only that, but would you give... Listen, would you give a task as important as finding a bride for your only son to someone who wasn't faithful I mean if if I was going to pick someone to choose a bride for my son or or a groom for my daughters do you think that I would just pick someone who hasn't proven themselves to be faithful would I pick somebody to do that who hasn't proven themselves to be loyal? Would I, would I ask somebody to do that who didn't take care of their responsibilities from day to day to day? Now, listen, this decision for Isaac's bride had historical implications. This was to find the bride, this new matriarch of the family, through whom God would bring a great nation... And the future Messiah. This was a very important decision. And this faithful servant had proven himself in the day-to-day details. Enough for Abraham to say, listen, I I trust you. You've proven yourself faithful. You're my oldest servant. You oversee everything that I have. And I want you to do this task. Do you know what faithfulness means? It means having superhero faith. That moves mountains and inspires feature-length films. That's what faithfulness means. No, actually, that's not what it means. Faithfulness means you do the small things as if they're the most important things. And I think we need more of God's people to be faithful. That treat the small things as if they're important things. Sometimes faithfulness means just doing the same thing every day for days on end, or for some, doing the same thing every week for years on end, and I look around the room, I could walk around the, the hallways this first hour, and I would stop at a class, and I would see a Sandy Collins in there teaching, and I don't know how long Sandy has, has, has taught, she can't have been teaching very long, she's only 29, so you know, she's very young, I don't even want to ask her, how long do you think you've been teaching, Sandy? Sandy? 30 years. So she's been teaching since before she was born. So, good answer. 30 years. And you know, you know what my son talked about uh, the whole time he was in her class? He would come home and say, Miss Sandy gave this object lesson today. He taught us about this, and she had this, and it was so funny, and it was interesting, and it kept his interest. You know what, sometimes faithfulness... It, would the world look at what Sandy Collins does in teaching the little second graders? Would, would the world look at that and say, um, that's a big deal? No, probably not. But faithfulness means you do what, what, what other people would say is small, that you treat them as the most important things. Yeah. And that's faithfulness. And honestly, I could stop right there, and that'd be enough for us to be convicted about, and enough for us to chew on, because very often the small things are the things we release, because they don't seem very important. But it's not always about saving the day. Sometimes it's about making your bed. And the idea is the more times you choose to make your bed, the more likely you'll have an opportunity one day to save the day. Because how you treat the small things, if we're, if we're faithful in the least... God says that we will have more opportunities in the big things. God opens doors for the bigger things. So I'm asking you this, just to start, as we examine ourselves when it comes to being faithful, how are you doing in the small things? How are you doing in your reading of your Bible every day? How are you doing in your prayer life? How are you doing in being a friend the way that you ought to? How are you doing, and and just as Christians, how are you doing when it comes to being at work on time? Because the world sees those things. And Christians should exhibit that the small things are important to us. They're so important to us that we'll treat them as if they're the important things. We need to be faithful in the small things. This servant was faithful in the small things and he was tasked with bigger things. But the big thing wasn't easy. As a matter of fact, faithfulness doesn't mean you'll avoid difficulty because faithfulness, it means that you treat the small things like they're important, but it also means that you might have to work through some obstacles. Faithfulness means that you work through some obstacles. In verse 3, uh, here's what the servant says, or, or Abraham says, I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. Abraham gives a very clear condition to the task. See, if Abraham had said, um, Eliezer, my servant, I want you just to find a wife. Just go find a wife for Isaac. It could be anybody. That would have been a much easier task. But he says, but my one requirement, and later on he says, beware, because this is a very serious oath. My one requirement is that she can't be a Canaanite. And that makes sense, because if you think about, if you understand the lines after Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, then Shem was that one through whom the bless, from whom the blessing would come. That's the one from whom Abraham's family came. But Ham, he had a son named Canaan, and the Bible says over after the, the flood that Canaan was cursed. It says, cursed be Canaan, blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So it's not as if Abraham is just being prejudiced. No, he's attaching even the marriage of his son to the promises of God. And he knows that God will bless the line of Shem and he wants wants his servant to go back to his family and find somebody from there. He didn't know who Isaac was gonna marry, but he did know who Isaac shouldn't marry. And, and I, I, if this was just about marriage, I would be giving you know, some of these counsels. It is important as we go through here to take note of this. For those in this room that are single and you're not married, listen, what you should do is, is just on your own, with God's help, decide, okay, this is the kind of person I will not marry. And I'm gonna cross those off the list. If they don't love God, if they're not faithful to church, if they don't claim to be saved, if they're not a child of God, then I'm crossing that one off the list. And you say, well, that's unfair. That's not very nice. Or that's being prejudiced. Except we see a precedent set in Scripture because Abraham knew that if Isaac married a Canaanite, it would likely take Isaac's heart away from God and lead him to a whole different place. Solomon, the wisest man in all the Scripture, he he surrounded himself with people that didn't love God. He married um, all of those different wives and concubines and the Bible says they took his heart away from the Lord. Abraham sees that and says, no, that's not what I want. Your best option is to go back to where we know the descendants of Shem live. And that's back in Haran, where my, where my family is. But, but obviously this brings a concern. The servant has a concern. He says in verse 4, Thou shalt go into my country, to my kindred, take a wife unto my son Isaac. But the servant said unto him in verse 5, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. He says... Uh, Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? Now, this is a valid concern. From Hebron to Haran, which is where he was going, was about 500 miles. About 500 miles. That would be about from here to Wichita, Kansas. Something like that. So, I mean, that's not close. It would take on foot or with camels. It would take about three weeks. I mean, it would be a lot of steps. You'd be counting the steps, but there'd be danger because you'd be, you'd be going through the wilderness. You'd be facing weather patterns. You're not, you don't know what's coming. Uh, You'd be, you'd be facing those that want to rob you. I mean, uh, that was probably prevalent in those days, especially if you've got a number of camels and you've got servants traveling with you and they see that they probably know the bad guys know that's a good target. So he's putting himself at risk for three weeks, four weeks on a trip, 500 miles away. And so his first thought is, okay, I'm going to go all that way. But what if she won't come back with me? That's a valid concern. So he says, okay, what if I just take Isaac with me? I mean, that'd be, that's a good idea, all right? I mean, I could take him. They could, they, she could see him. I mean, they probably want to see him before they agree to marry him. Uh, but Abraham knows that's a bad idea when he says, beware, don't take Isaac back there. And he knows if that happens, Isaac might be convinced to stay, which would be the worst thing he could do because God's promises were attached to this land. And God, Abraham says, no, I don't want to risk that. I don't want to risk Isaac being lured away. Listen, faithfulness means that you work through the obstacles even when you don't see how it's going to work out. That's what he's doing. His servant is saying, no, this is an obstacle. I don't see how this is going to happen. And listen, there will be times in following God, it just doesn't make sense. There will be times when you don't see it. You'll, You'll be asked to do things that make you scratch your head, and they'll leave you wondering. And every faithful servant comes to a place that they have to be faithful, even when they have unanswered questions. There will be unanswered questions as you follow God. It's easier to see the obstacles than it is the outcome. Let me say that again. It's easier to see the obstacles than it is the outcome. If you've raised children, you know that. Because on a day-to-day basis, the obstacle is that, that, that they don't seem to obey and they haven't learned the lessons I taught them yesterday and what is wrong with this child and do they need professional help. Sometimes you feel that way. Say, I don't even know. I've tried to train. I'm trying to discipline. And it's like every day we're starting new. And that's an obstacle. And it seems like it's impossible to overcome. It's easier to look at the obstacles than it is the outcome. I'm thinking about people in our own church that are faithful to giving. Listen, I'm not preaching on giving today. I'm using it as an example. There are plenty of people in this room today that at some point in their life, they made a decision to put God first in their finances. And every week they give 10% to tithe. And if you're like our family, you give above that to missions and above that to the building fund so that we can take care of the property God has given us. You know, there's some weeks where I'm like, I don't see how that works out. Brother Juan, who owns his own business, are there some weeks where you're thinking, I don't see how this works out. But he gives to God first, and God takes care of his needs. Brother Chad, he owns his own business, Zesto, up in Brookings, and there are probably some times you're thinking, I don't see how this works out. I'm not sure how this works out. I'm going to give to God first and I'm going to take care of what I ought to but I don't see the outcome working out. It doesn't make sense. There's no logic behind this but I can tell you and I hope that we would have plenty here by testimony of their own mouths that would say there have been plenty of times financially I didn't see how the outcome was going to be but I just knew I had to serve faithfully and even with obstacles I said I'm going to obey and God took care of me. It happens all the time. You'll have obstacles that prevent you from seeing the outcome. And this was a 500-mile trip with 10 camels and servants and carrying um, some kind of evidence of his, of his master's wealth to go to a city of his, uh, Abraham's family, his brother Nahor, find the family somehow, convince that family or that woman that, that she should travel back with him. I mean, not only that. Can you imagine, um, you know, trying to convince somebody to marry some somebody she's never met, she's never seen? It's not like you could take your phone and show a picture. Here's Isaac, you know, at his first t-ball game, and here's Isaac, you know, last week, and he's, you know, you can't do that. You can't pull up his dating profile. I mean, there's no way to look at it. So it's by faith. He said, "I'm going to have to go and do this by faith." These are all obstacles, and he says, "And you say, well, why ten camels? Well," You know, this, ca- this crossed my mind. It, it, who knows, if in my house, I would need 10 camels for all the shoes that my, my daughters and my wife transport when we go on trips. You know, that, this is a bit, these are obstacles. This isn't easy. And I believe part of the reason the servant had confidence, though, was because of Abraham's answer in verse 7 and 8. When he said, the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house. And from the land of my kindred, in which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. Know what faithfulness means? It means you worry less about the outcome. And you just focus on the journey. You, you worry less about the outcome and you focus on the journey. And that's what Abraham tells his servant. He says, you let God worry about the outcome. You let God face those obstacles. You focus on your journey because too often God's people are more worried about the outcome. And we forget to just be faithful to the journey. You know, it's easy to get so caught up in what's happening around us that we forget our first priority is to be faithful and I know the world is going down the tubes, and we see it, and we want to see it changed, but our priority is to be faithful to God. And, we, and listen, here's the issue, is we might not ever improve our culture. We may not ever change things. You know, chances are, if you look at history, chances are we won't change our culture, And listen, if we get to the place where all we ever think about is affecting the culture and changing the culture and that never happens, you talk about being discouraged pretty quick. Now, am I saying that we should never try to affect change in our culture? Absolutely not. We should. I'm not saying that we shouldn't get involved. I'm just saying that our motivation can't be changing our culture. Our motivation should be being faithful to God. We can't change the outcome. We can't make something happen. We may never turn this ship around. It will do what we can as we can. But if our priority is changing the culture, we'll be discouraged. But if our priority and our motivation is being faithful to God, I'm telling you, I can do that. I can take steps as needed. I can be faithful on my journey. I may never convince anybody to believe like I do. I may never convince anybody to turn things around. I can't control that. My motivation is I have one job and my one job is to be faithful. I will leave the results up to God and I will find myself less concerned about how it ends and more concerned about taking the next right step right in front of me. Here's the point that I believe Abraham is trying to make is that God, here it is, God providentially works as we faithfully serve. God providentially works as we faithfully serve. Abraham wasn't saying, who cares how it ends? He wasn't. He cared how it ended. You Know what he was saying though? You don't do what you do or you do what you can do and God will do what only he can do. That's exactly what happened. God didn't say, just be faithful, it doesn't matter how it ends. No, God was concerned how it ended too. God was concerned that he find the right one, but it wasn't his job to choose the ending. It was his job to just be faithful. And look how faithfully the servant carried out his journey. He takes these camels all the way to the city of Nahor, Abraham's brother. When he gets there, he goes to the place that he was most likely to find an eligible young lady... Because in those days, the, the young ladies, they would take their, their pots and their pitchers and they would go to the well, usually two times in the day, in the morning and in the evening, and they would carry the water back to their homes. So listen, faithfulness doesn't mean you don't have common sense. I mean, if, if a- Abraham's servant wasn't saying, well, I'm just supposed to be faithful, so I'm just going to stand out here in the wilderness and wait for some woman to come along. I don't know where by a southern accent. I mean, that's just, he was from south of Nahor's city, I guess. No, sometimes we do that. Saying my job is just to be faithful, so I'm just going to sit here. No, that's not the point. The point is being faithful means sometimes you use common sense. Where are the young women going to be? They're going to be at the well. So I'm going to go at the time of day that the women come to draw from the well, and I'm going to wait there because that makes sense. Faithfulness doesn't mean you just plop down and let God do all the work faithfulness means that you get out there and you take the steps that you can and you do what you know to do he went to a well where there would be industrious hard-working young ladies listen here's good advice don't look for a good spouse where they're not likely to be found and there's the truth here is you're you're more likely to find a good spouse by a well than in the wilderness and 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 that's not really the point of the message but it sounded good when i wrote it down so i'm Write it down if you want to. If you're single today, you're more likely to find a woman by a well than in the wilderness. Bless God. I'll preach that, you know. And it's truth. He went to a well where there would be women working and young ladies. They were, they were, they were industrious and they were busy. They were busy. And he gets there and he prays and he basically prays Abraham's prayer. And I love how Abraham's mindset had been caught by this servant. He did all he could do. But he calls on Jehovah, the God who provides to do what God can do. Look look at the traits that he prays for. Verse 12, he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. By the way, a good and faithful servant, it isn't making it all about him. He's considering his master in every decision that he makes. He says, this is for my master Abraham. Verse 13, behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water and and let it come to pass. Look at the things he prays for. Let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down the pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. You know, it's okay to pray for specifics. Especially if you're looking for a spouse. It's okay to pray for specifics. You you want someone with character. You want someone that works hard. You want someone that pays attention to the needs of others. You want someone willing to go above and beyond. And because he did all he could and he trusted God to do the rest, God answers his prayers. And just think about all the things that got checked off the list. Look at verse 15. And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that, behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder, okay? Was she a relative of Abraham? Well, her grandpa was Abraham's brother. Check the box. Check. Verse 16. And, and the damsel was very fair to look upon, okay? So do you think that that is on most young men's checklist when it comes to finding a bride? Beautiful? Check. Okay, keep going. Verse 16, and the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin. Neither had any man known her, and I'm not trying to be awkward about it. She's a virgin, which means that there was no concern about the promised seed through whom Isaac and and Rebekah would bear a son. It also meant she had moral integrity, which is another good thing to have on your list for those looking for a spouse. Was she industrious? Well, she's doing hard work. She's carrying a pitcher. Look at verse 17. And the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she hasted, let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. She was concerned about the needs of others. She hasted, she had zeal. She cared about people. Check, check, check. And not only that, she watered his camels. And this is no small thing one camel can drink, from my understanding, 20 gallons at a time, and he's got 10 camels. And they've just traveled across the wilderness. 20 gallons times 10, times 10 camels. I mean, you're talking 200 gallons of water. She's going back to the well and going back to a camel and back to a well and back to a camel. She worked hard. I mean, of all the things in this story, I talked about superhero faith. I think Rebecca's the superhero in the story. She's the one doing the work and she's industrious and she cares. And all of these things on his list are being checked off, checked off, checked off. And you know what it does? It leaves him in verse 21. It says, the man wondering at her held his peace. The man wondering at her. I think that I personally just interpret that to mean, here's what, I, or here's what the servant did the whole time. Another camel watered. Another one. I don't know if that's the Hebrew word. But I really believe that's what's happening. Because he's doing all he could do. And he gets to a place. And the the, the very prayer he prayed for is coming to pass right in front of his eyes, and that's what God does. Listen, when you are faithful, even if you pray specifically, and this is not a name it claim it message, by the way, I'm talking about being faithful to God, not you choosing the terms. No, the faithfulness, the faithfulness of the man was I am obeying God and following his word, and as I, as I do that, he was just left in wonder. That God would answer his requests the way that he was. And all he could do really is just kind of stare at her. The man wondering her at her held his peace. He couldn't even say anything. To wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous. You know what he's getting to do? You know what you'll get to do if you just faithfully walk your journey? You'll get to stand there and... Just nothing to say. But, but God does work. And he providentially works if you'll just be faithful. He wants to bless his servants. He wants, us to, he wants to bring to pass what only he can in our lives spiritually. Only God could have made this happen. Now, and, and, and he gives her an earring and he gives her a bracelet. And you say, well, that's just to convince her to come back. Well, maybe so. But God was doing a work in her heart too. And when she told him she was Abraham's great niece, all he could do was fall on his face and worship, and look what he says in verse 26. And the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord, and he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me. I being in the way, the Lord led me. You know what that means? If you will faithfully be where God is working, he will providentially produce the best results. If you will faithfully be where God is working, he will providentially produce the best results. You know, what you could say is faithfulness means you get in God's way. Not in a bad way. I mean, in a good way. To get in God's way. That means you get on the bus. If you get on the right bus, you'll end up in the right place. And in this story, the Lord providentially ensured the continuance of the seed and the promise by guiding his servant to find a bride for Isaac. And that's a mouthful, but here's what it is for you. God is just as interested in producing the best results in your life. And God will providentially ensure your spiritual blessing if you as a faithful servant will get in God's way. If you will get on God's path Listen, your job is not the destination. Your job is to be faithful on the journey. And let God produce the results. And I want to think about three applications here before we finish. Get in God's way with your authorities. Get in God's way with your authorities because that's what what Abraham's servant did. The whole time he did what what Abraham told him and the whole time he's thinking, how does this affect my master? I want this to be about my master. I want this to be about my authority. He submitted to his authority and it released him from having to produce the best results. You realize that? As you submit to God, then you finally realize it's not up to me to produce the results. I just have to obey God and he'll produce the results. Teenagers, I mean, I look at this group right here and you get, get in God's way when it comes to your authorities. God has given you to two parents. Most of you have two parents at home that love God and they love you and they want what's best for you. And your job right now is not to fix everything wrong with your parents or get your way. Your job is to submit to God's way through your parents and let him produce the right results. And while your friends are out there rebelling or thinking this is the good time or getting their own way and thinking their way is best, if you will just be faithful to submit to your authorities, God will bless you like those friends that are rebelling they'll never get to see. Thank you, Brother Sam. Listen, this is, this is your job. You have one job. You be faithful to your parents. You submit to them, you obey them. And he said, well, my parents aren't perfect. It's like, shocker, I I didn't realize. No, I know your parents aren't perfect. I'm a parent and I'm not perfect. Number one, there's no qualification in the scripture that says you're supposed to obey only if they're perfect. But number two, you're not perfect either. So you can just all be imperfect together. But your job is to obey your parents faithfully. To all the kids in this room, your one job is to submit to your parents and your authorities and to do it faithfully. And as you do that, God will produce the best results for your life. And it's true for all of us too. We all have authorities. We all have people in our life that God has given the responsibility to oversee our spiritual life. If you're a part of Eastside, this is not to tout me as the pastor. But your best responsibility to submit to God and his authorities is just to lean into this relationship right here. And I'm not perfect. I'm far from Perfect. But there's only one person in this world, if you are a member of Eastside, that has a responsibility to answer for your soul. And I can tell you this, I will do the best that I can to lead you how I can. But if you will lean into this relationship and trust that God has had his hand in putting me here and putting you here, listen, he, let him produce the results. So get in God's way when it comes to your authorities. Get in God's way when it comes to engaging in, God, in, in, your, or in your relationships. The example given here is marriage. And I'm just going to say to those that aren't married, go to the right place to find a spouse. Look for the right traits in a spouse. Most of all, involve the Lord in the process. And if you'll do that, I'm telling you, he'll produce the best results. And you may only see the obstacles. Let him worry about the outcome. You just be faithful. Get in God's way by engaging in God's work. You know, with the servant, he was faithful because he knew this was important work. This is God's plan. Did you know God still has plans for the earth? We heard it in Sunday school from Brother Spillman. You know, that that he's always had a plan for somebody to represent him to those around them. For for Nineveh, it was Jonah. For the Gentiles, it was Israel. Today, you know who's representing God in this world? This is local church. A church like Eastside Baptist Church, this is how God is choosing to fulfill his plan for the earth. He does it through local churches. He's doing it in our community through Eastside and, and other churches. He's doing it in other places through those churches. But, th- but you, what you need to do, listen, is you get in God's way. Go where he is working. And he's working through a church like Eastside. So plug yourself in. If you're not committed, join and be involved. I mean, too many people date the church. And, and say, I just say, get married. Go ahead and plug in and be involved and be a member and, get, and find out what God is doing through a church like this and just say, you know what, I'm all in because I want to be where God is working. God has plans for Eastside as a local church to be a light to our community. And listen, you can be a part of it. I want to encourage you today, to get involved. If you're not a member, why not? Jump in. Serve. Get involved. Get in God's way when it comes to God's work. You know church isn't optional. This isn't an institution that man came up with. This is God's plan. And his plans are being brought about here. So just get involved. And not only that, God's plan includes telling others about Christ. Get involved. Engage in God's plan. And listen, here's the great thing about that one is as we just are to be faithful, we let God produce the results. He doesn't say, you got to go out and, I, and be the best soul winner in the church. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. Now, you, you should be as involved as you can be. But here's where it gets good because the pressure's not on us to produce results. We simply are faithful to the work. And as we're faithful to the work, God gives the increase. He produces the results. It's not up to you. There's no prizes. You're not going to have to do better than somebody else. You just get faithful. And listen, here's the whole point. If you will be faithful to God's way, he'll produce the best results. Do what you can. Trust God to do what he can do. Be faithful to your authorities. Get in the way. Be faithful in your relationships. Get in God's way. Be faithful to God's work. Get in his way. Submit to his plans. Some of you have come in this morning and you said, if I die today, I don't know that I'd spend eternity in heaven. And so you're trying to change your outcome. But you can't. You have no hope in yourself... to get yourself through heaven's door. But you know, God has a plan for that. He sent his son, Jesus Christ... to die on a cross... As a substitute for you in your place and pay for your sins. And his plan is this. You say, okay, it's a life of serving God and, and, and trying my very best. Is that the plan? No, the plan is place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the, uh, listen, you don't have to come up with heaven on your own. You can't. The outcome is up to God. You just submit faithfully to his plan. And he'll make sure that someday when you pass on from this place, you'll stand before him in heaven because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm just saying this morning, if he leads you, follow. Don't worry about the outcome. Concern yourself with obedience. And as you do, God will produce the best results. And you say, well, it may not be obvious. It's true. I'm not saying he's going to make you rich. I'm not not saying that he's going to make it easy. The world might even say, those aren't great results. But like we looked at last week, we live for promises beyond this life. And listen, if you will obey faithfully here, you may not ever get what the world sees as success. But if you will get in God's way and let him lead, one day when you stand before him, you might just hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm telling you, all the rewards on earth can't equal Hearing that from Jesus Christ. Dana Maurer um, owns Dakota Auto Parts. This is not a plug for Dakota Auto Parts, although I think if you're going to buy an auto part in Sioux Falls, go to Dakota. We were talking yesterday. And he was telling me, you know, on his sign there on Dakota, on Cliff, uh, he says on his sign, he saw a long time ago this, this phrase and he uses it. He says, closed on Sundays, God's services, or God's service is better than ours. And I thought, that's really good. You know why? Because a long time ago, Dana Mauer decided that he's going to put God first, and he's just going to faithfully serve God and let God produce the best results. The world wouldn't see it that way. The world would say, you're a fool for closing on Sundays. Don't you know how many people work on their cars over the weekend? I'm sure Brother Dana does. He knows that. But he also knows that if he'll be faithful to God, God will produce better results than him by staying open on Sundays. So it closes on Sundays, and you might say, "Well, Brother Dana is just you know downcast and downtrodden, and he never has anything." No, God's blessed his business for years. You know why? Because when you get in God's way and you let Him lead, He produces the best results, and He does something that we wouldn't get to see if we stayed out of God's way. You know, Dana's job is Dakota Auto Parts, but knowing him, he would tell you this. Dakota may be where I work, but my one job is to be faithful to God. And God's blessed him because of it. And countless stories in this room would reiterate that example. Listen, you have one job. Be faithful. Don't focus on the outcome. Just walk the journey. And you'll find that God blesses you in ways you could never have produced on your own. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you for your attention today. Are there areas in your life that you've not been faithful, that you're struggling with just doing what you're supposed to do? As a parent, maybe you're feeling that. As a giver, maybe you're feeling that. As a church member, maybe it's your, your, your lack of commitment. Maybe in some area of service you haven't been faithful. Maybe in something you haven't been faithful. Well, I'm telling you today, you don't have to change the outcomes. You just have to get faithful. You just have to obey. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You just take the next right step. And just be faithful. And let God produce the outcome. Let God produce the results. That's his job. Second, maybe today in your own strength, you've been trying to produce the outcome of eternal life. And you think it's my job, I've got to do this. But listen, you are at the end of yourself because it's impossible. If God may be leading you this morning to submit to His plan for salvation, the work's already been done, the outcome is already finished. All you have to do is get in God's way, trust His plan. Your Jesus Christ. Maybe that's how this applies to you this morning. However it applies. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man or woman or child or teenager be found faithful. Are you faithful? If you are, just trust that God will produce the best results. Father, I pray for your will and way in the service. The invitation, help us to respond as we should, Lord, faithfully to your word. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.